Well, today is Mother's Day, so I am going to preach about Jesus and his relationship to his mother in the Bible. You know, when you want to look at any topic, the best thing to do is to look at what Jesus did, to look at what he said about it, to look at how he acted in the situation, to look at how he treated his mother. I think that's the best topic we could look at today. So, Firstly, Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The offspring is a reward from him. So if you are children, sorry, if you have children, you are blessed. And if you are a child, which everyone is, then you are someone's reward. You've got to think, how amazing was my parents that they got me? Who... Mine must have been fabulous. But that's how you've got to think of it. Whether you've got children or not, you are someone's reward. And let's hope that we act that way all the time. So Jesus, I want to look at his, the way he acted with his mum in the Bible. I want to look at an acronym. I don't know why this has become my thing the last few weeks, but it has. An acronym on mother. I want to look at the different, thing, the different situations that we can look at in the Bible. So M, we can look at the manger, we can look at his obedience, we can look at tasks, we can look at how he honoured her, we can look at how he treated her when everyone was around and after the resurrection, did he make room for her? So the first one, the manger. We all know that the manger was a humble beginning. If you turn to Luke 2, verse 1 to 7, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while someone was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, we all know that Jesus was God before he came to earth. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was already God, and he came to earth humbly and was born into a manger. He didn't come down complaining to his mother Mary, I can't believe you've made me be born in a manger. I can't believe, look at the house I've been born into. Look at the circumstances I've been born into. He didn't come down arrogantly. He came down humbly and accepted what she had to offer, what the situation was, and was born into that place. You know, I used to always think, oh, we're so poor, we're so poor in my family. And I'd look at what everyone else had around me. And I'd think, why are my parents so poor? You know, I couldn't understand. But there is always more happening behind the scene. Do not despise small beginnings. You know, while the reason they had to go from where they were to Bethlehem was because everyone had to go back to where they were from for the census. They had to be registered in the place that they were from. A bit like in coronavirus, we all had to kind of go back to where we're from to get looked after properly. You know, they all had to go back to the right place. And it could have seemed at the time like, oh, I'm pregnant. I don't want to go all that way. I don't want to give birth in this little inn. I want to be comfortable here. But we never know what God has got happening behind the scenes. 
they had to go back to Bethlehem because Joseph was from the line of David and Jesus was actually had to be born in the house of bread that's what Bethlehem means the house of bread and do you know that Jesus was actually even though he was born in an inn they took him from where they were from for him to be born in the king's land the land of the king of David and Jesus that's where he was he was the king didn't matter that he was born in an inn he was born in the king's land and that's a bit like us we can think oh I might be I might be born into this sort of situation or I might be born in, my children might be born into a poor situation, but you are in the king's kingdom. And so it doesn't matter what the actual house might look like, the land of where you're growing your children is going to be profitable and fruitful. You know, it says that in the Bible, it says it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. It is better to have your children raised in the house of God than in a palace that's not in, the, in God's kingdom. Isn't that right? So today, you know, Jesus, he came humbly and accepted his mother for what she had. But really, God had set the whole thing up for him to be the king in the king's land. And that's how we've got to treat our parents. It doesn't matter where we're born, what circumstance we have, what's happening around us. We are in God's kingdom and that they will have a fruitful life because we have borne them into a place of the kingdom of God. The second thing I wanted to look at was Jesus' obedience to his parents. In Luke 2, it talks about how, in Luke 2 verse 41, it says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. If you lost your child for three days, you would be stressed out. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was truly humble that even though he was God and even though he wasn't doing anything wrong, he was in the temple, he was in his father's house, he still became obedient to his parents. You know, the Bible, when you look up that word obedient, it actually means to place or rank under, to be subject to and obey. Imagine him as God being subject to a, an earthly mother, a human mother whose mind would have been more limited to his understanding. But this, when you look into this word in the Strongs, it actually means to come under God's arrangement, to submit to the Lord's plan, which is to be obedient, to learn training, to become you know, able to submit and not arrogant and think you're, you're wonderful. You know, 
the Bible tells us that Jesus has been through absolutely everything that we will go through without sin. If he can become to hi- obedient to his parents, then we need to become obedient to our parents. We need to, as children, as children be obedient and as parents teach our children obedience. That was the relationship that they had. Got to keep in mind for my next point that she had had a visit from an angel. She got told that she got miraculously, she had a miraculous conception. She saw Jesus, she saw him become obedient, which is a miracle for a child. She'd seen all these things, kept everything treasured in her heart. And then this is why I want to talk about the next point. The next point is what was their relationship when tasks had to be done? In John 2 verse 1 to 12, it's the miracle of turning water into wine. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. Now there was set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification for the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made of wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers and his disciples and they did not stay there many days. You know, there's so many different things about this scripture. I, there's things that contradict each other. There's things that I could go on and on about this one point. But I'm going to give you two potential reasons what happened during this, this particular situation. You know, Jesus, Mary had grown up with this man. She'd seen the miracles happen around his life. She knew what was going to happen. She knew miracles were going to be coming out of him. And she saw that there was no wine. So naturally, she had faith in her son. Naturally, she thought, he can fix it. And went up to him and said, they have no wine. You're the man for the job. You can do it. I love you. I know you can fix it. I believe in you. Like so many mothers are to their children. They believe in them. They know they can do it. They keep talking life into them. Even when they're failing, they just keep saying, you can do it. You can do it. And Mary would have been the same mother saying, Jesus, you are the man for the job. But she, but he responded by saying, Woman, this is not the right time. And that sounds to me a bit disrespectful. But when you look up this word woman, it's the same word he uses when he's talking to her when he's on the cross and she's crying. And, and to other people, in John 20, 15, it says, when he was lovingly talking to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, he said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? He wasn't telling her off then and he wasn't telling her off now. He wasn't saying, woman, stop it. He was saying, mom, don't, it's not the right time, it's not the right time. But then it goes on straight away to say, so then he performed the miracle. 
And I've been stewing over this for days, thinking, why did he still do it when he said it's not the right time? Was it either that his mum was such an encouragement that he, it launched him into his ministry? Or did he do a different type of miracle in response to what she had requested? You see, he showed a few different things in this miracle. He showed that he is an obedient son, not to his mother maybe necessarily, but to God. He spoke a lot of saying that he only does what he hears from his father. You know, if a mother said, jump off the cliff or do this or do that, it doesn't mean you, you necessarily have to do it. You always have to listen to God first. You always have to listen to what he's saying over your life. He was an obedient son, but he also showed that of what was to come. It was the start, a shadow of what was going to come through his ministry. At the start before, at his very first miracle, it launched the start of his entire ministry in one miracle. You see, he used the purification pots. The, what the guests would walk in and wash their hands with or wash their cups with or wash their cutlery with. He could have done the miracle in their glasses inside the room, but he chose to do the miracle in the purification pots. He turned the purification pots, what would make them clean, into wine. He turned it into necess- maybe to represent his blood, that he would be a purification for the entire world, that his his going to the cross would become his blood and his water dripped into the ground to save our sins. No longer would you have to do these customs. No longer would you have to do anything, but you would just have to partake of Jesus's blood and you would be purified. He obeyed the, he said, I'm only ever going to do what the father tells me to do, but I'm going to show you that I will purify every single situation. I am going to go to the cross and cause purification, forgiveness for sins. And he also showed that he is the ultimate bridegroom. The Bible says that he is our bridegroom. And in this, in this, in the, these Bible times, the bridegroom was responsible for the wine and, and the custom of the feast. And he didn't even know that it had run out. The master of the ceremony didn't even know that it had run out. And when it had run out, the master of the ceremony went up to him and said, why did you save the best for last? They didn't even know. But Jesus, the ultimate bridegroom, had supplied every single need that they had before they even knew they had one. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has provided every single need before we even know whether, you know, our our parents might be telling us to do one thing. Someone might be telling us to do something else. We want to honor them. We want to respect them. But we ultimately have to do what Jesus has asked us to do. And he will provide the way for every single thing that we need to do. Amen. I hope I haven't confused you. It's either one or the other. Maybe it's both. The next point is that he did honour her. He honoured her amazingly. In Exodus 20 verse 12, it tells us a commandment that says, Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise, that we have to honour our mothers and fathers. And in John 19, this is where we can see in verse 25 how Jesus honoured his mother. When he was on the cross, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, the same word he 
which means tenderly, woman, here is your son. And to this disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, he was on the cross dying for humanity in the most pain that was imaginable. And yet in that moment, he made sure his mother was looked after. He said, mum, this is now your son. I'm going, but I am leaving you with a disciple, the one that the Bible says he loved the most. He didn't just ditch her with someone. He gave her to the disciple that, that understood his love, that he loved so much. And he said, now you look after her. Long after he was leaving earth, he had left his mother with someone that would take care of her. He left her with a home. He left her with a son. He left her with provision. He left her with friendship and love. He left her and that is how he honoured her. And as a mother, she was there for her son at the hardest moment. She was there at the cross near her son, still with him, still still with him in his hardest moment. That is an awesome relationship. E, when everyone is around, how do you treat your mum? Let's watch. In Matthew 12 verse 46, it kind of seems like a contradiction again, but let's look into it. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He wasn't saying, who is my mother? Because he didn't know who she was. He wasn't saying please tell me who she is, where is she? He was saying, do you know what? I am preaching the gospel to these people. I cannot leave them to go and have a conversation with my mum because everyone is important. These people are important to me. This is my mother. This is my brother. This is my family. Anyone that is because of the will of God, it is my calling to speak to these people and give them the gospel. These are my mother and brother. There are no favorites in Christ Jesus. If you think someone is favored above someone else, that is not biblical. There are no favorites in Christ Jesus. Whether you are close to him, whether you aren't close to him, he loves you just as much as the next person. We have to do the same. We have to look at everyone in love. We can't just be exclusive with certain people and exclude other people. We have to, just because we love this person a lot, doesn't mean we can't love that person a lot. We have to be inclusive of everyone and our relationships. My last point is after the resurrection, there was room for his mother. Even when he was gone, there was room. The women were the last people at the cross, the first people at the tomb, and they were definitely in the upper room. They may not have been mentioned prominently, but if you look and read the sentences, they are everywhere. The women, his mother, they're everywhere in the Bible. They were strong. They were strong, powerful women. In Acts 1 verse 12, it says, in the upper room meeting, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. 
Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. She was in the upper room praying. She didn't disappear when Jesus left. When he ascended, she didn't just go out the window. She was still there praying. There was room for her. She was in the upper room with everyone. Jesus had left her in the care of his disciples. She was still on the journey. She was in there praying. How many people know that mothers are amazing at praying? They are always praying for their children. They are always believing in them. And there should always be room for our mums. There should always be room to take them where we're going, to ask them for prayer, because they are the ones that are always there. Our mums are always there, whether we think they're doing what we want, whether we think they're there enough for us, they are always there. They are, we are always in their hearts. We are always with them. Whatever season of motherhood you find yourself in, whether you're in the season of maybe you're at the inn, you're giving birth, you're in the baby season, or whether you're in the obedience season. My kids keep running off to the temple. I'm trying to get them out to obey me. I'm trying to get them to not throw Cheerios across the room. I'm trying to get them to obey. What season are you in? Are you in encourage them, them to do tasks, to do their ministry, start your ministry. You're awesome. You can do it. You're amazing. Are you in that season or are you in the season of, I wish they'd just honor me. I wish they would just love me and care for me. Or are you in the season of, what's my next season? When everyone's around, they don't want a bar of me. When I drop them off to school, they are just like, mom, don't kiss me. What season are you in? Or are you in the season where you feel like they've gone, they've left, they don't need me? Is there any room for me in their life? You know, we've seen in Jesus in every single one of those seasons how he treated his mum. It was amazing and it always pointed to God. It always pointed to the will of his father, but he still did it in a respectful way. It's amazing that we can learn everything we need. The Bible says everything that you need can be found in the Bible. Every single situation is found in the Bible. Mums, we just pray that you would keep speaking life, that you would keep going through these seasons and learning the journey of, of what it's like to, to ask God to be praying and say, Lord, help me teach this child obedience. Because the Bible says when we instruct our child in the way that they should go, they will not depart from it. Even though this is a, seems like a menial task, this is actually setting them up for an amazing thing. You know, even though it might seem like I'm not giving them an amazing start in life, I'm actually planting them in the kingdom of the king. And they are gonna go off to do amazing things because of where I've just planted my kids. And you know, mums, you're amazing. You do amazing things. And on this Mother's Day, I want to, us to reflect on who Jesus is, who he was with his parents, who he was with his Father in heaven and how we can really learn from him and look after him. Sorry, look after our families the way he would want us to. So Lord, I just pray right now for these women. I pray right now for these families. Lord, I thank you that we can learn from you. I thank you, Father, that you have given us every single thing that we need to do your good works. Lord, I just pray blessings over these um, families. 
blessings over families that are struggling, blessings over families that are doing well. Lord, I pray blessings over every single child that may not have sprouted to be what you've called them to be. Lord, we pray for strength for the mothers to not give up, to keep praying and believing. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that that you love these kids more than even we do, that you have a purpose and a plan for them more than more than we could even fathom or dream up for their purpose ourselves. And Lord, we just pray that you would just bless every single family, Lord, every single person listening to this um, message. We just pray that you would implant them with hope and just let them believe that even if it looks like they've just got a seed right now, that can sprout into something amazing that will give life and benefit to everyone around them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I pray you have an amazing Mother's Day. And the band is just going to sing if you want to reflect and just pray and ask God to give you the wisdom and the faith and the encouragement to um, really believe amazing things for your family. Amen. Have a great day.